When my four sons were growing up, I would regularly ask them the same question in the mornings. I would say to them, what matters most today? And they quickly learned the answer that dad wanted to hear, so they would dutifully reply, love God and love others. And I'd say, that's right. Because, you know, Jesus told us that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he said the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. What matters most? Loving God and loving others. And we talk as a church about love all the time. And I'm so thankful to be a part of a community that is seeking to love one another and those in the world around us. But sometimes I wonder, do we have clarity on what that actually means? I mean, what does love actually look like? That's what we want to talk about together this morning. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. You know, I have absolutely loved this series as we've been walking through this letter from Paul to the church in Thessalonica. In the last two weeks, we have been thinking about the return, the coming of our King. And two weeks ago, Brian reminded us that even when we lose those, the, the greatest tragedy in life, when those we love die, for all who are in Christ, death is but hitting the pause button. And we will actually be together with Jesus and with our loved ones in Christ for all of eternity. And therefore, at the end of chapter uh, 4, Paul said in verse 18, therefore comfort one another with these words. And last week, Ryan reminded us to live in anticipation of the coming of Christ as we live on mission for him. And at the end of that section, then Paul reminded us in verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are also doing. And now we begin to head to the end of the letter. In fact, we'll wrap up 1 Thessalonians next week. But before we do, Paul wants to give us some important exhortations about some commands and calls that God has for our lives. And we pick it up this morning in verse 12. But we request of you, brethren, brothers and sisters, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction, and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. You know, verses 12 and 13 are so interesting because they probably hit us in a way that's very different than now they would have come across to the Thessalonians. We live in what is perhaps uniquely the, the most unique culture in the history of humanity with the elevation of the autonomous self. We have elevated to ultimate supremacy the idea of the autonomous self. And therefore, the heart cry of the rugged individualist in our culture is, nobody tells me what to do. And often, therefore, as Americans, we have a difficult and tenuous relationship with leadership. 
with authority, with anyone who would be called to have charge over us. And yet what a different picture Paul paints for the Thessalonians and for us about what love looks like and how we cultivate healthy Christian community as a people of hope. He says that we are to respond to those who are over us with love. In fact, that we would esteem them very highly because of their work. And it makes sense if we actually think it through. You know, I was 33 years old when I was asked to step on the senior leadership team of this church. And I had a profound sense of dependence on God but I also knew that I needed help from others. And I cannot tell you how thankful I am that for the past 22 years, my office has been right next to Brian Clark's office. And I have learned so much from him. Brian is nearly 10 years older than I am in life, and even more in terms of his spiritual life as he grew up learning what it meant to be a disciple of Christ, and I didn't. And so I have learned so much about life and about truth, about God, about family, about ministry by esteeming and appreciating a leader who's been over me. The same is true for so many of you. We love and we highly esteem the leader who was the senior pastor of this church for many years. But you know, today it's not just Brian. There are so many people whom God has placed in positions for our good as leaders in this church. I wish this morning I could name them all. But I want to just point out a couple of groups. First of all is our life group leaders. You know, when we come together in this context, this is so important for us to come to worship and to be instructed in the truth of God. But equally important is when we gather in living rooms to take this truth and to work it into the fabric of our being. And I'm so thankful for the men and the women who have stepped up to be life group leaders, to help us form spiritual communities in this church that we might actually all grow further toward completion in Christ. And there are so many people who tirelessly serve all of us by leading in this way. And I love Paul's instruction. What does love look like? It looks like loving them and highly esteeming them because of their work. I also think of our church staff. And I really wish that I could name every person. We have so many wonderful staff who are committed to diligently laboring on behalf of the people of this church and the people this church seeks to reach. I'm gonna just mention one person as an example of many today. And that's the other person who my office has been next to for the past 22 years. That's Pastor Kyle Helmink. Many of you know Pastor Kyle because Pastor Kyle has been involved in investing in countless couples in this church for decades. And as someone who offices right next to him, I get a unique vantage point to watch how hard he works as he pours himself into loving and serving the people of this church. I saw Kyle earlier this week at the end of a long day, a long day when he had been meeting and ministering to people, and I looked at him and I thought, he looks tired. And I didn't say anything to Kyle because he rightly very much guards confidentiality in regard to his counseling so he doesn't talk about it. 
But I saw it as another opportunity to thank God for Kyle and to pray that God would strengthen him as he serves our people. And as I said, Kyle is just an example of what so many staff and lay leaders do here in the body. They are people who, as Paul says, diligently labor among us, and God has placed them in positions to lead us and to give us instruction to help us become more like Christ. And where would we be without that? And so what a great lesson on what love looks like. It looks like appreciating and inviting influence from those whom God puts over us, not disdaining and fighting with and resisting leadership, but rather seeing it as being from God and for our good. And thus Paul says, live in peace with one another. And part of how we cultivate that peace is by our heart's attitude toward those God places over us. Then Paul gets even more specific about what love looks like in verse 14. He says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. If I were to try to sum up a definition of love in our current culture today, it would be something like this. Because of the elevation of the autonomous self, what love is and looks like is for me and for all of you to accept and affirm any decision, any belief, and therefore any choice that any individual chooses to make regarding their own life. Because of this idea of the autonomous self, they have the right to decide who they are to be and what their life should look like. Our job then is to love them, which means I will accept and even affirm whatever they choose to believe and whatever they choose to do. And so we have so much conversation now about what love is and about hating and loving. And love is accepting and affirming and anything other is hate. It's considered to be hateful because it is thought to be a rejection of that person and their right to be whoever they want to be. Now make no mistake, God has given man free will. Men and women have the choice to choose to be whoever they want to be and God will not force us to live under his rule and reign. We can spend our lives seeking to live out under our own kingdom and to establish our own kingdom and to try to get the entire world to fall in line. But God has a very different way, doesn't he? God calls us to submit our hearts to him and to step into his kingdom and experience a very different kind of life. And we also understand because of our biblical worldview that we are people who need one another. We know that our justification is complete immediately upon our salvation. And so when we trust in Jesus Christ, our sin, all of our sin is paid for and we have right legal standing before God then and for all of eternity. Our justification is immediately complete, but our sanctification is progressive. We understand that we continue for a lifetime to figure out what it looks like to actually become like Christ. And because we were born into a fallen world and we live in a fallen world, we understand that we have a propensity to err. We believe wrong things. And those wrong beliefs lead us to wrong decisions. 
And those wrong decisions actually bring destruction to others and even to ourselves. So we know that we do not want to live as an island unto ourselves. We want the influence of a healthy Christian community. That is what love looks like. And that is what Paul's talking about in verse 14. So he says, brothers and sisters, we urge you, admonish the unruly. That word admonish is the same thing that he talked about leaders, instructing. It means to, to warn. It means to teach, to, to correct. And the word unruly here is actually from a military term that meant to step out of formation. When things are supposed to be going this way, it's to go a different way. And it could be to just step out and stop and to be like the Thessalonians who were struggling with idleness, as we've talked about. Or it could be to, to go our own path to follow the beat of our own drum. And what does love look like? It doesn't look like just acceptance and affirmation. Love looks like others, friends in the body of Christ, lovingly coming alongside to say, hey, I care about you. And I'm, I'm concerned about the choices you're making, the things you're believing, and the impact they'll have on you and your life. And so Paul literally says that we are to admonish the unruly. Now, let me say just one thing. This has absolutely nothing to do with posting on Facebook. This is not about so-called keyboard courage and me telling people out there what they're doing wrong. No, this is life on life. This is skin on skin. This is in the context of true loving relationship, sitting down with someone you know and someone you genuinely care about, and in kindness, looking them in the eye and saying, sister, brother, I love you, and I want to give you in Christ a word of loving warning. We admonish the unruly. He also says we encourage the faint-hearted. This word faint-hearted, perhaps your translation says timid, is an interesting word. What it literally means is smallness of soul. And it is an acknowledgement that our souls are only progressively formed unto Christ-likeness. And many of us are still in many ways small in our souls. And therefore, we live fearful and afraid. We live prone to believing the wrong things, to believing lies about God and responding accordingly. And what do we need? We don't need to be slapped around and rebuked. What we need is to be encouraged. We need people who will love us and come alongside us and say, don't forget, God is God and God is good. God is the one who will help us. God's way is the best way. You can trust him. He is worthy of your trust. When they lack faith, we come along and bring our faith to encourage them, to buoy them up and to strengthen them. And that, friends, is part of what love actually looks like. That's what love does. It encourages, and then Paul says, to help the weak. And I'm so thankful there are so many people in this church who are involved in helping people who struggle with all kinds of different physical weakness. But actually what Paul is talking about in this context is moral and spiritual weakness. It goes back to this idea of smallness of soul. Many of us that are a place in our story in different ways where we may even want to fully follow Christ, 
But we struggle because we lack the moral and spiritual character to follow through in doing so. What do we need? We need help. Remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God's call to walk in a more wonderful way. That he wants us not to simply indulge our worst desires, such as for sexual immorality, but rather that we would learn to be people who actually live a life of love. And love is defined as to will and to work for the good of another, all others affected by our actions. But we said at the end of that message, so often what people hear is just stop it or just do it when it comes to the things of the Christian life. And the reality is so many of us struggle with being stuck. And I'm so thankful for our many ministries, which are an example of this text and of what love looks like. Because what help the weak means, the wording here actually means to come alongside and to put an arm up and under and to walk with. And there are so many men and women in this church who have wanted to follow God but have found themselves stuck in some sort of addiction or struggle. And someone else in this church, a small group or one of our ministries has come alongside and put an arm under and they are walking them toward freedom. And it is literally changing their lives. And my friends, that is what love actually looks like. And finally, he says, be patient with everyone. The word means long-suffering. You know, I think any of us who have raised kids have come to understand it's a long-haul game. And if we, every single time we saw something that we thought we could correct our kids on, we'd kill them. We can't tell them over and over and over every time we see something that needs to change in their lives, but occasionally... Under the leadership, hopefully, of the Holy Spirit and in wisdom as a couple together to be able to think, when are those times in love to sit down and say to your son or your daughter, I love you, but I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the direction you're headed because I care about you. Sometimes we're called to admonish them. Often we're called to encourage them. Boy, what they need over and over and over is encouragement, encouragement, encouragement. I believe in God. I believe in what God has for you and for your story. And they need people to speak life into them. And they need help. They need people who will come alongside them and put their arm under them and walk them through their weakness and toward maturity patiently as we go. The same is true with us as adults in the body of Christ. That's what love looks like. Under the leadership of the Spirit and true love and kindness, we admonish the unruly, we uh, encourage the faint-hearted, we help the weak, and we seek to be patient with everyone. Which leads right into what Paul then says in verse 15. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. What came to be known in Latin as the lex talionis was the law of retribution. It's what Paul is alluding to, where they would say an eye for an eye. And that sounds savage to us. But when you think it through, you come to understand that in the Old Testament, when this was talked about, it was actually an expression of restraint. Because what is the desire of the human heart? When someone hurts us, 
Our sinful tendency is not just to hurt them in kind. It is literally to hurt them worse. You take one of my eyes, I'll take two of yours. And we escalate. If I say something that is hurtful to you, you might say something back to me even more hurtful. I might turn around and say then even something more hurtful. And we escalate and escalate, which completely destroys the ability to live in peace. And Paul says that we were not just to live with this idea of only equal retaliation because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took it to a whole nother level and Paul echoes his teaching. Jesus said, you've heard it said that an eye for an eye, but he goes on to talk about actually loving even our enemies and those who persecute us. Paul talks about it here. If you want to spend some time looking at another companion passage that explains what love looks like, study Romans 12. It is a beautiful picture that lines right up with what he's teaching the Thessalonians. And that chapter ends with him saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So again, remember the definition that we talked about three weeks ago of love, to will and to act for the good of another? Well, look what Paul says right here. See that no one repays another with evil for evil, but always seek that which is good for one another and for all people. That means this applies right here within the church, but it also applies in how we relate to every single person we encounter. What does love actually look like? It looks like you and I being and becoming the kind of people who literally are intentionally seeking to bring good, caring about the good for every single person we encounter in any context of life. That is a powerful picture. And these encouragements, these exhortations from Paul give us an amazing picture of what love actually looks like as we seek to cultivate healthy Christian community as a people of hope. But they leave me with one begging question. How? How do I do that? How do I be and become that kind of person? Because I'm going to be honest, I struggle with many of these. So how do we do that? You notice Paul doesn't tell us, at least not right here. But it is such an important reminder of how Paul teaches. In almost every one of Paul's letters, when we get to the end of the letter, Paul will begin to, in rapid fashion, give calls and commands of who we are to be and how we are to live as followers of Christ. These are imperative commands. We can never separate our understanding and application of those imperative commands from the indicative truths that he tells us in the earlier parts of his epistle. These indicative statements about who God is, and about what he has done is what changes the very nature of our understanding of these imperative commands. So as I was thinking about these imperative commands in chapter 4, I went back to the beginning of the letter. And do you realize that just in chapter 1, Paul tells the Thessalonians that they are loved by God, chosen by God, empowered by God, filled with joy from God, 
proclaimers of the message of God, servants of the living and true God, awaiting the return of the Son of God. This changes everything. How do we be and become people of love? Friends, we love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. And it is only as we understand what Christ has done in us and for us. And as we draw near to him to experience his very life, to experience his love, to experience his goodness, that we can gradually become increasingly more like him. And the kind of people who are able to love like this. So what does love look like? It looks like appreciating and inviting influence from a heart that is secure in Christ and deeply loved. It looks like cultivating peace from a heart that is continually finding rest in God. It looks like from verse 14, actively engaging and investing in others from a heart that is being filled with love from God. And it looks like from verse 15, bringing goodness to all from a heart that is being transformed by the very goodness of God. We love because he first loved us. He is what love actually looks like. And that's why it's so fitting that we talk about that on a morning when we get to celebrate baptism. Because we as a church understand that baptism doesn't save a person. They've already come to saving faith by trusting in the finished work of Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection to pay for their sins and bring them back into a reconciled relationship with God. But in baptism, they have the opportunity to proclaim what Christ has done for them and to proclaim that they are now following Jesus and experiencing a relationship in which they can increasingly be and become the kind of person who can actually love well. And what a joy it is that we're going to get to hear several stories this morning. But as we thought about this baptism, we were also encouraged to realize not only is God using all of us as a church to change lives right here, he's using us in other places. This past year, many of you, through your giving and your serving, helped with the launch of a brand new Berean church in Kozad, Nebraska. And we got an email this week from Pastor Eric, and he sent us a picture And this is a picture of Manny, the very first person to be baptized from that brand new church. And we praise God for how he's changing lives all across Nebraska. It's not just across Nebraska, it's literally around the world. Do you realize that through our Lincoln Berean staff directly and the ministries that they lead all over India, all across Nepal, in Bhutan, Bangladesh, and Indonesia, in just last year, 1,157 people in a persecuted culture publicly proclaim their followership of Jesus Christ through baptism. And over the last three years, even right through COVID, over 3,200 people came to a place of followership of Christ where they said, I'm willing to stand up no matter what the cost and be publicly baptized as a testimony of my faith. God is using all of us together. 
And so today is a day that we celebrate. We want to take a moment and thank God for his love and that he can make us people of God. And then we want to join in hearing the stories of several who will be baptized right here on this platform this morning. Jesus, we come before you with grateful hearts for who you are and for how you love. God, we recognize that it's because of the finished work of Jesus that we might be made new. And we thank you, God, that you immediately forgive all of our sins. And we thank you that you don't just save us to give us a ticket to heaven. You invite us into a life-changing, abiding relationship with you and with one another in which we might be increasingly becoming like you, in which we might be growing in understanding what love actually looks like, this radical, countercultural togetherness of love. God, lead us as a church to resist the temptation of the autonomous self and the rugged individualism of our culture. Lead us as a church to resist uh, affirmation and acceptance of anything in a tolerant way as the, as the definition of love. Cause us instead to see what biblical love actually looks like. And this morning, God, we celebrate. We celebrate several lives as we hear stories of people who have come to understand what a good, good God you are. And as they proclaim their faith and followership of Jesus, we celebrate with you, we celebrate with them. For your glory and in your name, amen.